I think people sometimes stay in a culture that's really great for them, despite the other problematic things. But I think any of the other problematic things, plus a culture that's generally misaligned is a recipe for moving on. Everybody says they want a great workplace culture. How do you get it and who makes it happen? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VEDEX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brandon Howard, and today, the cultural thinker, just made that up, is former DBM360 head of content and now executive coach, Marnette Fowley, with Sun Road Coaching and Consulting. So, culture. It's a buzzword. You want it. People are leaving jobs because of bad culture. But before we get started, Marnette, let's define it. Last time I had you on, Marnette, we talked a lot about coaching. And I think that it kind of covered the entire field, communication, personal management, client relations, emotional intelligence. It touched on all those things. And I thought this time, you know, I asked, I wanted you back because we always have such awesome conversations. I wanted you back to talk about there's some buzzwords out there that hover around and I don't think people are clear on them. And I think maybe you've looked at this word long enough to have thoughts and opinions and a little depth to what the heck does it mean? Everybody's talking about culture. So they say your practice has a culture, your practice does not have a culture, your practice has a bad culture, but I don't know if everyone is clear on the definition or whether there is a solid definition. So maybe we could just start there. There's the systems at work at your practice and there's the people who work there. What exactly in your mind is culture? Okay, so I love that. And I already want to argue. I'm like, everybody has a culture. <laughs> okay, that's true. Okay, fair enough. There is a culture. So what is culture? So I'm going to say that culture is the rules of engagement at your practice. How you're going to be a great contributor in this particular organization. What you have to do to succeed here. And I think culture is so interesting to talk about because of all the things you mentioned, systems and rules and handbooks, and many times we don't actually ever actually define our culture. Culture way often happens by accident. You're exactly right. Obviously, just because people don't talk about the culture or the, all the people who work there are unclear or have different opinions about the culture is doesn't mean there's not a culture there, that there aren't rules they're operating by. And I think you mentioned through a thing in there, the employee handbook, I feel like a lot of times I hope you can attack what I always am not a fan of, which is mission statements and vision and values sometimes that people develop and then don't actually sort of permeate that and don't think about it again. But the yeah. employee handbook, a CYA, our culture really, if you get down to culture, well, it's just the system. It's the legal stuff we have to put in to say, you have to dress this way. If you have a grievance, this is how you handle it. So I feel like the employee handbook is pretty crystal clear. That gets handed out to everybody and people can refer to that. But then where's the cultural handbook about what the heck is going on? Right, right. Okay. So the handbook has some rules of engagement, which does bleed into my definition, right? Rules yeah. of engagement, how we work here together. But it's the sort of 
nuts and bolts boring part of it that's not that hard to define, right? But it doesn't get at the stuff that's about how are we when we work with each other or how are we when we do our own work or it's very hard to define and require a particular mindset. And yet when we talk about culture, there is some of that that we really do want, right? Mindset, please come and be positive. <laughs> yes. Right? And so the handbook typically falls really short, I think, in this area, although, of course, there are some exceptions. There are probably practices out there who are doing a beautiful job of this, so I don't mean to um, say everybody's stinking. But <laughs> right. I know that in my past, despite how much I care about this, I have not always done this well. And in that same set of documents, there is, as you said, often a written out vision statement or a written out mission statement yep. or a or a list of values. Those, I think, fall short. So the most interesting thing I think that you can really do in defining your culture is identify the behaviors that you require and value. And that really it's those, what actions do we expect you to take here as a team member that make a culture real and active and something that you can measure against, right? Yeah. Where even the values list well, it might have some overlap to what you want for your culture, doesn't, we might not all agree. So, you know, I'm going to just pick passion as one of our values or commitment <laughs> as word. one of our yeah. values or loyalty as one of our values. Well, and so what, right? Like, what's that actually mean when I show up to work on Monday? What am I going to do? Because loyalty is one of our values. So I think you're right. All of those things are different. And and of the things we've talked about, mission and vision and, and values, culture is the one that I think least often gets well-defined. Do you think if people, whether they are uh, kennel attendants, working the front desk, all the way up to the associates, if they're working for someone else inside a place with a culture, do you think the the bigger problem is that people are not honest about what the culture is or that the the values and the behaviors they're looking for have not been made explicit. So if somebody says, I have a quote unquote bad culture, obviously that could be, again, a million things. It could be bad systems, bad people, bad history. You know, they don't have all the resources. There could be all kinds of problems that lead people to say they have a bad culture. But maybe we could talk about I don't know what a bad culture looks like and then maybe what culture is not. If if they have this melange in their head, like this soup of like things that mean I have mm -hmm. a good culture or a bad culture, is there any way to tease any of the like the most important strands in there out? Well, I mean, you make me think if somebody came to me and said, I have a culture that I'm not enjoying in my practice, right. this is a bad culture. One of the places I might start is what makes this bad. Maybe what you need for your good culture is to articulate the opposite of that. And so, like, if what makes it bad is that nobody takes responsibility, everybody blames, then maybe some pieces of culture that you want to instill are practicing blameless problem solving and honoring commitments. And how could you talk about those inside your team and in a way that this is what we expect? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So you might be able to take that my culture is bad and use that to help define what you what you want, right? Like the opposite of what makes you crazy might be what you want. Have you seen 
in the people you've talked to through the years or worked with through the years, is it typically a collaborative thing to talk about the culture, set it in writing, and then revisit it regularly to see if we're hitting where we want to go? Or is it often, I worry sometimes, again, I don't know why I have a chip on my shoulder about mission statements, but they've aggravated me for the entire time I was at Veterinary Economics and DVM 360 <laughs> because I love the idea of them and they sound good and everyone should have a mission. Like, you know, Pat, but what, what does that mission, you come up with a mission that sounds good, nobody would disagree with it, but what does it actually mean? What behaviors, how does that mission statement actually change behavior? So when people have this thing, this culture from the top where either they, they had a meeting with everybody at one point and talked about what their practice was and came up with a mission statement they liked, that's their quote unquote culture. And when they say, what's our culture? Well, we have it written down in this place. It's either at the start of the employee handbook or it's on a plaque or maybe even it's on cards we get and hand out to people when they show up. But then how does that actually lead to behavior between team members and between team members and clients? when the rubber mm -hmm. meets the road, it sounds good. So that's my thing. So I want you to speak mm -hmm. to my irritation, which is coming up with something that sounds good, but then how does it actually latch into what people are facing? Yeah. So you're making my head go in multiple directions. So let me see <laughs> how good I can be at sorting them out. Right. So one of the things that you're talking about, which I think is completely fair is who should set the culture. And whereas I'm a bottom up person in almost every way, like I think ideas and innovation and solutions and all the things should come from the person who's closest to the problem and that the people who are talking to the client most often have the best solutions. Anyway, I'm all way bottom, <laughs> bottom up solutioner. Yes. I do think that I feel like culture comes from the top because the owner, the boss, whomever it is, needs to be willing to run this kind of organization. And then you're going to filter the people who are in and out of the organization. And so if they don't want to run an organization like this, then it's not going to be the right fit, right? And, yeah. and I've worked for companies that were not the right fit for me. And I've worked for companies that were the right fit for me. And I just, I think that, that what are we trying to do here in the way that we work together is, is a leadership from the top thing. But the execution of it is everybody, every day, frontline execution. So that's kind of an interesting thing. And then I'm trying to go back to the strands again, right? So, hey, yes. where does it get de developed? I think it gets developed at the top. Then where does it get lived? It gets lived every day in every way, every person all the time. And how do you make that happen? Well, that's hard, right? So when you do it by accident, it gets passed around by osmosis. Like, <laughs> I think that's how it's mostly passed is by, yeah. by accident, by osmosis. By accident, right. I heard somebody recently or read, I can't remember, say one of the interesting things that you could do around culture is write the handbook for managing the boss. <laughs> I'm like hysterical and horrifying. <laughs> and yet almost all of us can do that, right? Yeah. We can write the handbook. We can write the handbook for each other. We can write that. And that weirdly handbook has more to do with culture than the real handbook has. <laughs> wow. So that's funny to me, right? And horrifying. Let's go back to horrifying. So how do you make that explicit? And then how do you make it 
something that everybody understands because this osmosis business also has sort of the telephone game going all around, right? Yeah. You, you get a new person in and the last person says, well, you can do anything you want except for here, don't do this and there, don't do that because you'll get in trouble, right? <laughs> well, maybe there's a more methodical way to get the real information about what we're trying to do in the way that we work with each other and in what it takes to be successful here out in the open. <laughs> that point you made right there that sometimes people, you know, it gets developed through history. It's like a tradition. Some people f feel they've tried something and it didn't work or they tried something this way and it did work. So they, they give you the best advice about how to manage the boss and how to, while working here, these are the rules you can live by and that'll make you successful. But they don't revisit them often and they're based on people's past history. And so I think I've seen happen one person who is unsuccessful at communicating in a certain way with another person or at getting something done comes in and then they're confused because they're like, well, everyone says we can't do X, but then I went and talked to the person and now we do X and it's not a big deal. So I don't understand what they were thinking. I feel that culture without being talked about regularly as a unit gets fragmented and everyone has their own little perspective on exactly how do you deal with the boss or what is it like to work here? It's like people are not on the same page. I think that's right. I agree with you 100%. I also think that you get little subcultures like on this part of the yes. team, all these rules work, but on that part of the team, you better X, Y, Z, or they're just going to lose their whole minds, right? right? And I think some of that is natural. Like there will be working groups that have similarities in their style and expectations. And that's where if you don't have an overarching culture that's pretty explicit, then who's right, right? And it's when those groups work together that you really then get all kinds of friction because they each think they're right. And yet, what's what are we trying for here? And that's where I come back to, I think it comes from the top because what we're trying for here has to be something that we've all kind of agreed to, right? And without something explicit, nobody's agreed to anything. Is there, you might have nothing to say on this, but again, when I said at the top, I feel like, I feel like what you've talked about, about culture makes a lot of sense. Can you think of examples as you think back to, well, in the last six months or, or books I've read about culture and that does there seem to be some dead ends or is there a superficial understanding about culture that if you were going to sit down with people, if they had the typical understanding of whatever culture is, you feel like there's a a relearning of what we're talking about here at the beginning? Or do you actually think most people very quickly come to your understanding about, oh, that you would give them three or five things. They'd say, oh, I get that right. Okay, that's culture. Or do you think people have a disagreement about what that means? I mean, because people throw it around superficially and I don't know what it means. I think people disagree about what it means. And I mean, it's the fish and water analogy, right? Culture is the thing you stop noticing after three weeks because that's just how we do things here. Yeah. And the things that people say about their culture, in my opinion, may or may not even be true. And or they may have light sides and dark sides and or we might not all agree. So we're super innovative here. We always choose the new idea. Well, that could be true. And then is that really what you want? And what does that mean? And so we always chase the new idea. That's where I'm like, how do you get that 
so that's more like a value, right? Like, although it, I yeah. did make it an action, but the value is innovation or novelty or newness. I think all kinds of leaders struggle with the shiny new object problem, right? <laughs> to me, that sounds like a shiny new object problem. <laughs> right. But let's say it's great. We're going to be more positive minded. And we got it kind of to an action. We always chase the new thing. Well, what does that mean about the last new thing we chased? And when somebody comes to you with a new thing, do you chase it no matter what? Or are there any qualifications around the chasing? Or is there anyone who has to review? Or can anyone start a new thing tomorrow? And that next level still, even though we always chase the new thing as an action, which is what I just said, you need behaviors that would have... Who gets to chase the new thing? Under what circumstances? Are there any guardrails? What do you think about yes. that? Right? So more specificity is generally needed. Recruiting the perfect candidate for your vet practice in a reasonable amount of time is a seemingly impossible task nowadays. Due to COVID and other trends, many practices are chronically understaffed and just can't keep up with customer demands, struggling to fill vacancies. If you want to improve your hiring process and start building your team effectively, then join me, Dr. Dave Nichol, for a two-part masterclass on how to hire effectively in a post-COVID world. First, I'll show you how to avoid the common pitfalls of hiring and save you a lot of stress and money. I'll then give you a framework that will help you enhance your current listings and rapidly attract quality talent. Now, this won't be easy, but with the knowledge you'll gain from these two sessions, you'll be well on your way to building that high-performing team with a great practice culture. So I'd like to invite you to join me live for this digital event on April the 5th and April the 12th, that's 2022, 7 p.m. British summertime. Yes, it's summertime again, almost. 2 p.m. Eastern if you're in the U.S. Use the link in the episode description to reserve your spot for free. But hurry, places are limited. Now back to the show. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. Is it that of all the things that leaders and employees could be thinking about, in today's day and age, when people are talking about being dis, for instance, right now, I don't know when this is going to come out, but we're living in what they call the resignation where lots of people are either deciding they could find better work or deciding that the work they do is not satisfying enough for them to take that paycheck for it. Or they're trying to finagle some new hybrid because of how they live during the weird pandemic times. I mean, this is unfair. You don't survey on this. Is this a major thing? Is it a minor thing? When people say they don't like the culture, the money's good enough, the coworkers are good enough, but something ineffable, something unnameable about the culture they don't like. Is it really just some smaller conflict or could somebody wade in and say, you're right, there's an overall umbrella that's a problem here. Either a misalignment between what, what some people think the culture is and what some people think the culture is, so they're misaligned, or some people think that the cult this culture's, what is it? Do you think it's a major thing or do you think other things are kicking people in and out of jobs? I mean, how important is culture in the mix? What does it mean? Well, <laughs> it's an awfully big question. <laughs> that was a big question. I think culture. So I'm going to state back a question that I'm going to respond to. Ready? Okay. I think part of what you're asking me at least is when we think about the, the unprecedented number of people who are in transition right now, because they've reevaluated in that mix, how big is culture and how much is other stuff? 
And the short answer is, I don't know. And then <laughs> the longer answer is, I do think it's at play. I think it's probably at play for lots of people. And I think how big a decision it is in choosing to move on depends on how misaligned you are to the culture. And so if it's a culture that's a really good fit for you in most ways and you're deciding to leave, then I think it's the other stuff, right? The commute's too long. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting paid enough. I would like to do more challenging work, right? Other elements. But if you're moving along because you feel there's too much conflict or that the people you work for are wildly unreasonable or that you don't like the way we're treating the clients. Like if it has to do with these, how do we work with customers? How do we work with each other? How do we manage our own work? What kind of mindset do we bring? Those kinds of how do we do this stuff together? If that's why you're leaving, then it's culture that's at more at play. I think people sometimes stay in a culture that's really great for them, despite the other problematic things. But I think any of the other problematic things, plus a culture that's generally misaligned is a recipe for moving on. You're kind of going back to sort of clear behaviors. It reminds me of all the good thinking that's been done about feedback through the decades, about how to give good feedback, making it clear what your expectations are. Then, you know, sitting down with people and talking about how the expectations are either are either being met or not being met so that everyone's clear about this. So maybe that happens way down at the bottom, that manual for the boss. So you know what the boss wants, and that means this will work out for you. So if the boss likes you, if the boss likes your work, if you get along with the boss and you know how the boss likes to do things at that place, you get along and things are okay for you. Before going into, I'd like to really dive into that maybe later, but for now, it, should it be about the issue with the boss? Is it about the business or about the boss? You've talked about culture being sort of top. The bosses have to be bought in or they have to, you know, explain what the culture is, but should the boss be about, I'm going to decide how I want the culture at this business to be and everybody else is going to go along with it because I am the boss, which is the possibility of having culture come from the boss. So I think the culture needs to come from the leadership. And then how many people are really in that leadership role depends on the size of the business. So if there's only really one boss in a practice, then it's going to be about that boss. And, you know, a one doctor owner, and that's what there is, then the culture really is going to come from them. And then if you have great, strong practice manager in there and I mean, some of it's about those relationships too, I think, Brendan, like I'm thinking now about a practice where there's a great practice owner and also really they've delegated a lot of influence and authority to their practice manager and the head technician is also in there really swinging, right? And that's a triad that makes that team across the whole practice really work together. Well, all three of those people are probably going to really need to weigh in on this definition of culture. And in a good, healthy working environment, they would. That would probably fairly naturally happen. So when I talk about the writing the manual for the boss, I don't mean right. that that should be the only cultural definition. <laughs> but I do think that gives sort of insight into the unspoken rules of how we work together. And when you broaden that out a little more, the unspoken rules about how we all work together, 
So that's really about what my boss expects from me. I need to deliver these things. When we talk about culture, it's also about what does my coworker expect from me and what does my client expect from me? So it's a little more 360 than that manual example. But I do think there are a lot of cases in which it's largely unspoken. So that possibility you gave of sort of a tripartite leadership structure, I mean, it sounds really good. And I've seen that at different companies and in different ways. I wonder if it feels to the people inside those units that they are operating by different values. And so they feel that leads them to feel in conflict. And I know that the most obvious example everybody gives is front desk a back of mm-hmm. back of house. And so front desk is focused on the client and they're responding to the client needs and the back of house people feel like they're responding to the patient needs. They're focused on the animal. You people out front are focused on the person that could lead people into easy conflict where they're both, they're being led by a super important value, saving animals and a super important value, helping and caring for the human beings who bring them in. But those values will come into conflict how do people avoid that siloing? Because I know that can happen. Mm-hmm. So like that thing you said, there are smaller cultures. How do those cultures work? How do they work together well? I think that's a great way to think about it, Brennan. So that's exactly the kind of dichotomy that I was talking about. Hey, because they're focused on different kinds of work, they're naturally focused on different, really, in this case, stakeholders. And yet the business, the whole of the business needs to satisfy all of those stakeholders. And that's why the culture of the business and the behaviors that really we're talking about build that culture need to need to cross all of those lines. And if they do, and we talk about them openly, and we really practice at this, then as a team, the veterinary practice team could have shared vocabulary to talk about what's going on for them, right? I mean, they could literally talk about if one of cultures is we're uber responsive to our clients. And one of the cultures is we're always thinking about the best possible care for our patients. Then both of those things are on the table and, and you have to work to the middle, right? This and that, what does that look like? You're making me think about, there's a book that I love, love, love about conflict yeah, called The Good Fight by Leanne Davey. And she talks about not addressing those kinds of issues directly gives you something, she calls it conflict debt. So in avoiding the conflict, then we're not talking about it at all, but we're mad about it, even though we didn't talk about it. And as that builds up, it causes all kinds of friction around not really the real issue. (laughs) Oh, that reminds me of that emotional debt people talk about where Mm -hmm. somebody can quote unquote, if you have a longer relationship we have with people, people have sort of put emotional capital in. And so when something bad happens, when the person's not on their best day, when they're not on their best game, when they need something from you, you don't even think twice because they've got lots of money in the bank. They got lots of emotional capital with you. Yes. And so, right. This is, we've taken the emotional capital out of these professional relationships because we're not addressing the issue. (laughs) And then getting back to something that's positive, normal or positive is a kind of a slog, right? There's a lot of, a lot of stuff you got to work through to get there. And yet on cross-functional teams, that kind of conflict, like what you just described between we're going to do all the very best care for the patient and we're going to be uber responsive to our client, those things can easily be at odds. Yes. And the people are defending their stakeholder as they should, Right. And so that's normal conflict. That's healthy, constructive. If you manage it right, 
right? We're both trying to do the right thing for the practice. And so now what are we gonna do, right? You've got to collaborate on what to do. And that kind of conflict is the right thing for the health of the business. And clear culture about what are the rules of engagement there can help. So I'm trying to think about what an example would be, but yeah, you know, a, a cultural behavior might be get really clear on expectations. And so if if we know that we're going to make the client late and if we have an agreement that we're uber responsive to clients and if we know the patient needs the best care and that means they're going to be here another 45 minutes longer than we think, then what? And let's talk about what we're going to do in those kinds of situations. Or if we blew it, let's talk about what we want to do next time in that kind of situation so that we have shared expectation. And the problem is, as you've identified, there's the possibility if, if we go with this idea that there's this conflict that if these people, because of the conditions of the communication, because of the, again, high stress, speedy stuff that's happening, you got a lot of clients, the people at the front are rushed, the people at the back are rushed, people are probably not having conversations about how those two things are misaligning. The people in the back are naturally focused on one part of the, and maybe the most important part, which is helping the pets. Mm -hmm. saving the pets, doing the medicine in the back, in their brain, they don't even want to occupy themselves with having to think about how I'm going to explain this to someone. I want to be able to do the thing on the case. Explaining will happen by someone else or in some other time. It's not for now. But the question is, if you get so busy, that conflict that happens, I wonder if you could give people, if they feel like they're experiencing, either they're not aligned with the they feel like they don't understand what the boss is asking for. Or the boss is asking for conflicting things. Somebody gets caught at a place where it seems like there's something shaky about this culture, whether they're siloed or not, big place, small. If you sat down with somebody as a client and this was the biggest thing they told you, I feel like this culture is messed up here, but they're not the boss and they're not the lead tech and they're not the practice manager, but they feel like something's you know, messed up there. Is there anything people can do? I don't know how, how they would even try to start digging into this as a person inside the culture without absolute mm -hmm. managerial control. Well, so I always, I mean, ultimate optimism always. So <laughs> okay. I always think there's something you can do. Okay. But it's hard. So let's not pretend, right? All the things are hard. But thinking about my next words, right? But we all can improve the relationships that we're in by working on the communication and working on the relationship and being more vulnerable ourselves and listening more. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, I do have coaching clients in situations where they're not the authority who are working on relationships where they're like, please, couldn't somebody just come and make this better? from the top, right? With authority. Yes. With the power position. But we can't make them do that. And that's not part of the scope of the project. And all we're working on is your behavior. So right. what can you do with your behavior to make that different? Right. And it's all that stuff I said. Can I listen more? Can I understand better their perspective? Can I stay in curiosity longer? Why would a reasonable person do that crazy thing they just did? <laughs> How yes. can I shift my mindset? There are all kinds of things that each of us can do. And some days we'll do it better and some days we'll do it worse, right? But we can practice those things and get to a better place. You made me really think 
in your front versus back example about really cultivating gratitude for other people's interests and strengths. So I love to think about the big picture. I love the new thing. I hate to do really orderly, repetitive work. Yeah. And that kind of work is critically important and needs to be done. And thank God for the people who are good at it. And they make me crazy sometimes because when they come to me to talk about whatever it is, they're never talking about the fun, big idea. And the next thing <laughs> they're like, how right. come these don't line up? And it's important that they line up. And I'm like, Oh, come on, big picture. But no, 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 no. I need those people. Right. Otherwise the thing doesn't line up. So remembering that every day and in the heat of the moment that without them, I can't get this to work. And without them, I don't have anyone to do that thing that I'm really not very good at. And without them, we can't do the whole business of the practice, right? Without the people who were great at talking to the client, we don't have clients coming in. <laughs> and without the people doing care, great care for the pet, our pets aren't getting great care, right? That's the service of the practice. And so it is that it takes all of us. And remembering that all the time, even when it's hard. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how often gratitude winds up in people's mission values. Maybe it, I don't see it very often, but I could see how that is just could be in an oil that helps the engine in every tiny moment of resentment or anger or frustration or something good happens. And so you extend, it's almost like some meditation, extending it out to all the people at that hospital who made this thing possible as hard as it might be to do that and as unnatural as it is, I suppose all that mindfulness and gratitude would be helpful moment to moment, not just at a big picture, but at the small level too. Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen a company do that and then I'm, yes, 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 I would be so excited. <laughs> right, if they were, right. You can get in touch with Marnet Fowley and get nuanced, actionable answers to your problems at sunroadcoach.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you'd leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. And if you want more, you are in luck. Even more brilliance from Marnette Valley comes in the extended version of this podcast available exclusively to our leaders community. Learn more at vedexinternational.com. Until next time, just want you to know, I appreciate you. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know... I appreciate you.